Have you ever had that feeling when you leave the doctor's office and think, what did they just say? Or have any burning questions you didn't have time to ask? Or, I don't remember anything that just happened in that appointment. Or even, were they speaking my language? Yeah, us too. That's where we come in. We're the podcast dedicated to helping you understand what your doctor said about that thing you saw your doctor for in the first place. We understand it can be an information overload. We're here to help. I'm Dr. Josh Fletcher, a family medicine resident at Northrop General Hospital in Toronto. And I'm Jake Bloom, the person who doesn't know what's happening at the doctor's office. Welcome to Dr. Dictionary. I just want to make a quick disclaimer that this podcast isn't meant to be a replacement for a traditional doctor's appointment, nor is it meant to be providing medical advice. Rather, it's meant to be a supplement to your doctor's visit and explain why your doctor asked what they asked and help you explain the diagnosis and common treatment plans. Lastly, doctors often have very different styles and approaches to a patient and their diagnosis. If we discuss a question or treatment plan that your doctor didn't mention, that doesn't mean that they were wrong. This could represent a different in practice style or simply the fact that your doctor knows you better than we do and has created a treatment plan that better fits your lifestyle. All right, and welcome back to another edition of Dr. Dictionary, the podcast explainer for all your questions before, during, and after your visit to the doctor. My name's Jake, and joining me as he does every week is Toronto resident doctor, Josh Fletcher. Yeah, so this is our third episode on, of our diabetes series. So far, we've discussed the basics of diabetes in our first episode and spoke about the blood work diagnosis and screening for diabetes in the second episode. But this episode will be focused on the treatment of diabetes, specifically the medications that are used. Before we get into that, you always talk about how treatment is divided into medications versus no medications. So what is the non-medication treatment of diabetes? So a great question to start us off today. And we are going to dedicate an entire episode to the non-medication treatment of diabetes in the future. But just to touch on them now, you're right in dividing treatment of really any condition into the medication, aka pharmacologic side, and the non-medication, aka non-pharmacological side of things. For diabetes, the number one thing you can do is lose weight. And this can be done through diet and exercise. I talked about this last episode, but weight loss of even 5% is associated with a decreased risk of progression from pre-diabetes to diabetes by almost 60%. That's remarkable. So, yeah, we're not talking about a 50-pound weight loss here. We're talking about only 5%. Also, any exercise is better than no exercise. But ideally, we look for a minimum of 150 minutes a week of moderate to vigorous activity spread over at least three days a week in bouts of 10 minutes or more. Moderate meaning you can talk, but you can't sing when you're doing the activity. Vigorous, you can't even talk, you're out of breath. Diet's also very important, and while there are specific diets that have a lot of evidence behind them, making healthier choices and leading to a healthier lifestyle, something you can commit to over a longer period of time, is what will really work for you. There's a lot of fad diets out there, and a lot of people probably have questions about, oh, what about this diet, what about this diet, and really it's just something that you can maintain over time. But like I said, we're going to have an episode in the future discussing solely this topic. All right, then let's focus on the medications that are used to treat diabetes. Can you list some of the common ones? Yep, so common ones you may have heard of before that your doctor may have started. Metformin, which is a very common medication. The doses range for this one. 
There's citagliptin or genuvia, linagliptin or trigenta, saxagliptin or engliza. These work the same way, all those three medications. There's empagliflozin or jardians, canagliflozin or invocana, dapagliflozin or frixiga. These all work the same way. Then we have glycoside or diamicron. And of course, we have the injectable medications. Liraglutide or victoza, dulaglutide or trulicity, semaglutide or zempic. It's like a whole nother language. Yeah, I was going to say, you might have to teach me where you learn or how each one gets its name because it seems like it's they're just making words up at this point. <laughs> well, I guess my first question is, do all people with diabetes need to be on these medications? So no, not necessarily. It depends on your blood sugars and the severity of your diabetes. We talked about in our second episode about A1C. And if your A1C is close to target, then we might need to try diet and exercise first to see if that works and not start a medication right away. If your A1C is farther away from the target level, then we would often start a medication right away. If your diabetes is really severe and you came to hospital because of it, like you're having symptoms, then you might need to be started on insulin right away, which is an injectable medication that helps replace your body's normal supply of insulin. So it really depends on how severe your diabetes is. Will the person know or feel um, that their diabetes is under better control? Or is that something that can only be found through testing? Yeah, so usually you don't feel it. It's like having a high blood pressure. You won't know if your blood pressure is high or if it's well under control because you don't really feel it unless it's really bad. Now, that doesn't mean you should stop taking your medications, though, just because you feel fine, because there is a real risk of stopping your medications, and it's important to continue them as prescribed by your doctor. All right, so let's get through that laundry list of medications you mentioned. So which one should we start with? Let's start with the most common one and the one that's most often started first, which is metformin. Okay, metformin it is. Can you tell me a bit more about this medication? Like, why do you use it first, and what are the side effects? Like, why is it the most common? So metformin is a very common medication and is the most commonly first used drug for diabetes. It's safe. It's very cheap. It also has possible benefits for protecting your heart. And if you remember back to episode one, diabetes is caused by cells not responding well to insulin, like insulin resistance, or your body not making enough insulin or both. And metformin works to counteract this. It makes your cells more sensitive and less resistant to insulin and causes the liver to make less sugar. And because of that, it can really lower your A1C by approximately 1%. Now, there are some side effects. Most common is stomach upset, but this usually goes away within a week or two. We also wouldn't use this drug if your kidney function isn't great, and your doctor will help decide if that drug is the right one for you. Um, Before we go on to the next question, so A1C, remind me, what does that stand for again? So A1C is hemoglobin A1C, and this blood test is an average of your sugars over usually a three-month period, depending on other underlying health conditions that you have. Okay. So what happens if my blood sugars are still high even after starting metformin? Do I need a second medication? So you may need to start a second medication or a combination pill even, as this is common practice in diabetes. But Remember back, I spoke about the medication versus the non-medication side of things, and we often pair these together. They're not separate. They coexist with the medication strategies to control diabetes. We still want to practice a healthy lifestyle and weight loss, even if we're on these medications. Losing weight can actually make you need less medication, which can be really motivating for some people, 
because it's very understandable that you don't want to be on any medications if you can help it. If that doesn't work, then we first want to get you on the best possible dose of the first medication. And if that doesn't work, then we start a second medication, likely one of them that I mentioned before. All right, going back to that list of ones you mentioned before, I think I remember you saying there was an empagliflifoslian, <laughs> is that right? And how about uh, canagliogogogos, is it? <laughs> um, hang on a second. Those are a couple tough ones. So, so examples of these medications, again, are empagliflozin or Jardians, canagliflozin or Invicana, dapagliflozin or Forxiga, and they all work the same way. And the fancy name of these medications is an SGLT2 inhibitor. These work on your kidneys. They actually make you pee out excess sugar in the blood. And they're great medications. They have cardiac or heart benefits as well. Newer studies show they even have benefits for kidneys when on these medications. And they can be combined with metformin as well in a combination pill. Now, another great benefit of these medications is weight loss. They can lead to approximately 2 to 3 kilograms of weight loss, which is a nice added benefit for a diabetes medication. So that all sounds good to me. Are, are there any side effects? So because we're causing you to pee out your sugar, you can imagine that you may need to pee more often. Also, because you're urinating more sugar, this can lead to an increased rate of urinary tract infections or UTIs and yeast infections. Now, there are some occasions when you wouldn't want to use this medication as well, and that will be left up to the discretion of your doctor. What about glycoside or diamicron, which I've this is the first time I've said it, and I said it perfectly. What is that? <laughs> These are medications that stimulate your body to make more insulin. So as a result, the side effects of this medication are similar to the side effects of insulin. You can actually get some weight gain from this medication as your cells are taking in more energy and may store some of this energy as fat. There's also a risk with this medication of your blood sugar going too low, which we call hypoglycemia. And again, we'll have an episode solely dedicated to hypoglycemia in the future. All right, Josh, what medications do you want to talk about next? So let's talk about the next class of medications called DPP-4 inhibitors. These are citagliptin or Genuvia, linagliptin or Trigenta, saxagliptin or Anglyza. They all work the same way. Now, they work by increasing your insulin levels after eating, with more being released depending on the amount of sugar that you eat. And they can also work in other hormones in the body. So what are some of the pros and cons of these medications? So these medications can be helpful in lowering your blood sugars and do not cause weight gain. They can also be used in people whose kidneys aren't really functioning well. And they're really pretty well-tolerated drugs. There are a few side effects like headache and nausea, but overall they're well-tolerated. So I guess my next question would be about what happens if you're feeling sick or like just not feeling well. Would you then stop taking the medications? So this is a very good question because it's very important. If you aren't feeling well, aren't drinking a lot of water and feel dehydrated, you should hold your medications and call your doctor. Some of these medications can cause your kidneys to worsen or cause your kidneys to work harder if you're dehydrated and not drinking enough water, that is. In this case, you should stop your metformin, your SGLT2 inhibitors like empagliflozin or Jardians, stop your glycoside or diamicron, but in general, it's best to talk to your doctor and ask them this question to see if there are any other medications you should stop as well when you're not feeling well. What about injectable medications? You mentioned one that isn't insulin? Yeah, so these medications work very similar to the ones I just spoke about, the DPP-4 inhibitors. 
And examples of these include liraglutide or victosa, dulaglutide or trulicity, semaglutide or zempic. Now, I know a lot of people don't want to poke themselves if they don't have to, but this isn't an injection like your typical flu shot. It's a really, really small needle, and they can be either once a day or once a week injections. And they're great medications. They can help reduce your appetite, cause weight loss, have heart benefits, and some even have kidney benefits as well. Now, there are side effects like vomiting, nausea, diarrhea. These often improve with time, and not everybody experiences them. And you also mentioned insulin. So when would that be used? So we typically turn to insulin as our last resort, unless you have severe diabetes and came to the hospital because of it in the first place. We try to use all the oral medications I just spoke about first, and you may be on a combination of three or even four of these medications before turning to insulin. If you remember, diabetes can be from the body not producing enough insulin. And if that's the case for you, you'll eventually need some supplemental insulin. Basically, you're providing your body with the hormone insulin via a tiny needle. Your body naturally makes it, but we just don't have enough to keep up with your needs. And are there different kinds of insulin? Great question. So the pancreas releases insulin in both a basal or sustained fashion and bolus or rapid-acting fashion. One type of insulin is responsible for controlling your blood sugar after you eat. It's normally released by the pancreas at this time, and it helps your body use the sugar energy from the most recent meal. And we call this bolus or prandial insulin. The other type of insulin is a long-lasting insulin. It helps maintain your blood sugars at a normal and steady state when you're sleeping, when you're not eating throughout the day. And we call this basal insulin. When you're on insulin, it's usually a mix of both basal and bolus, or short-acting and long-acting insulin, or even just the basal or long-acting insulin. Josh, what's the best way to take insulin? So there are multiple different formulations of insulin and multiple different ways to take it. You might have just an injection in the morning or in the evening. You might need that morning slash night insulin and bolus insulin with meals. You may even have a pre-mixed insulin that has a combination of the basal and bolus types of insulin. Your doctor will start you on an insulin regimen that's right for you. We want to balance the positives of insulin on lowering your blood sugar, for example, against the negatives, which include weight gain and the risk of your blood sugar going too low. It can be challenging to start at the very beginning, and it's normal to have a lot of questions. Talk to your doctor about this or to a diabetes educator, as this can be very helpful. They can show you proper injection techniques and answer all questions that you might have. And finally, uh, what resources do you recommend to find out more about different types of diabetes medications? So Diabetes Canada is an excellent resource that has tons of information on diabetes, type 1 and type 2, and has lots of information on the treatment of diabetes as well. Like I spoke about in previous episodes, it also has information on the basics, talks about the diagnosis of diabetes, the blood work involved, and even the complications, which we'll talk about next episode. And if you want more information, they have a more detailed podcast series as well. In the USA, the American Diabetes Association is another great resource with a plethora of information on all things diabetes. Awesome. So that just about wraps up uh, today's episode on diabetes medications. Josh, thank you so much for breaking down all of these different names for me, giving me so many great, great more words for Scrabble to use. And yet, I guess, is there anyone that you want to thank? I'd like to thank Dr. Rob Silver, an endocrinologist at University Health Network in Toronto, for peer reviewing this episode as well as Nick and John Braganiolo for recording the original music. 
Great. And uh, you mentioned before that next time we'll be talking about complications of diabetes. And I really hope you tune into that because uh, I think it'll be a really informative podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>